If you have a Bible this morning, let's go to Matthew chapter 14. And if you are kind of new to Grace Life, we, we typically do this thing here where we just preach through a book of the Bible. We just go line by line. And the reason, one of the reasons we do that is that way it's God's word that's setting the agenda for our conversation on Sunday. Uh, we, don't, we don't get to cherry pick the parts that we want to hear and skip over the parts that we don't want to hear. This is called expository preaching. And expository preaching just kind of helps us make sure that we're not skipping spiritual leg day, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like we would just kind of maybe prefer to skip that day, but we don't want to do that. And so we're thankful for God's word. And in a minute, I'm going to read the scriptures to you that we're going to be talking about today. But, but first, I want to warn you that it may feel at first when we look at that, like you are being transported back in time 2,000 years and being dropped into the middle of some weird, archaic, religious debate. And at first, you may be tempted to think, okay, I'm sitting this one out because this one has nothing to do with me. But I would beg to differ. I think, in fact, it has everything to do with you. And I think it has everything to do with some major issues that we are all constantly dealing with. Let me tell you what those five issues are that we're going to bump up against today. First one is this. Why do I feel inadequate? Now you would probably never just come out and say that because that would enhance and magnify the already feeling that you have of feeling inadequate. But I think that every person has this underlying feeling of, if I were to be examined... If my life were to be placed underneath a microscope, I would be shown lacking. I would be shown that there is something in my life where I am missing the mark. I am falling short. I'm not good enough. And, and what we typically do because we're haunted with that question is we try to cope with it in some ways or we try to camouflage it in some ways. For some of us, we turn to work. And we just throw ourselves into our work so that we can feel more validated as a person. We, we maybe can convince ourselves that, hey, I'm okay now. Some people throw themselves into busyness. Some of you are just yes people. You're going to say yes to everything. You know why? Because you're probably trying to cope with or camouflage this foreboding sense of, I'm not enough. I, I, I fall short. I'm missing the mark in some way. Some of you, you're trying to cope with this and camouflage it by, by being successful or having fame or having comfort, having money, whatever it may be. Some of you are just trying to cover it with just looking good, right? If I, if I can just look like I have my act together, then maybe people will believe I have my act together and nobody has to know that I'm, I'm really not enough, right? And so we try to find things that cover up our sense of not being enough. We attach ourselves to things that will hopefully validate us and help us find meaning and worth. Some people try to deal with their sense of falling short and being inadequate. Some people turn to religion. That's what they use to try to cope and to camouflage with that issue in their life. Which brings me to the second issue we're going to bump up against today in these strange verses we're going to read. And that's the problem with religion. What is the problem with religion? Well, religions can be fraught with problems. Religions say, if I can just do certain things, then maybe God will say I'm okay. If I can do enough good things, often enough, 
and maybe not do anything really, really bad, then, then maybe God will say that I'm okay. And it doesn't really even matter what the religion is because that's just the way of religion and that's what's driving it. You have to perform, you have to achieve, you have to do, you have to earn. The religion of Islam. Here's a list. Do it, follow it, perform these things, and you might be okay with God. Judaism, here's a list. Do these things, follow it, and you might be okay with God. Some distorted versions of Christianity, same thing. Here's a list. Do this. Yeah, it's Jesus, but it's Jesus plus you got to do this, and it's Jesus plus you got to do that. You have to do these things so maybe you'll be okay with God. And no matter what the religion is, when you boil it all down, they're really saying the same thing. Something has to change about you for you to have any hope of being okay with God. So here's a list of things that you can do outwardly and externally, and maybe in the way that you can modify your behavior and change stuff about you on the outside, maybe that'll change you on the inside and you'll be okay with God. Religions say that you can behave your way or you can perform your way into being right with God. And that's another issue we're going to look at today. Number three, how can a person be right with God? Some of you, you're here today because that's the question that's kind of haunting in your mind. It's bouncing around up there in your cranium. How can I do, how can I know, how can I know that I'm right with God if it's at all possible to even be right with God? This is why you got up early on a day off. You, you put on clothes that you wouldn't normally wear on a day off. Most of you did anyway. Some of you, you really chilling. That's good. <laughs> Whatever your thing is, all right. You drove over here. You found a parking space. You walked into a building where you're not going to know a whole lot of people. Walked into a room where you're not going to know a whole lot of people. And you're, you're doing that maybe today because you're haunted with that question of, is it possible for me to be okay with God? Is it possible for God to be okay with me? And how can that happen? And you may be figuring out that worldly success hasn't changed the nagging thoughts and questions you have about that in your mind. You may have figured out by now that being religious or trying to be the best version of you that you can be is not erasing those nagging thoughts and questions that you have in your mind about how can you be right with God and am I okay with God. And that persistent search leads us to the fourth and fifth issues that we're going to be bumping in to in these weird little verses here today. Number four, what's really wrong with me? What is really wrong with me? And what's really wrong with the world? What's really wrong with all of us? And is there a solution? Is there a solution? So I want to pick up where we left off last week. I want to finish chapter 14. So let's go there. In 14, Jesus has just fed 5,000 men, the Bible says. If you counted the women and the children, we're talking probably 20-something thousand people with what amounts to a little boy's lunchable. He did that. Then he walked across the surface of the Sea of Galilee white cap waves in the middle of a storm. Amazing. And that brings us to verse 34. As if feeding 20-some thousand-odd people walking on the sea in a storm is not enough. Check this out. Verse 34. And when they had crossed over, that's Jesus and his disciples, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, and he's pretty recognizable by now, y'all. 
they sent around to all that region. They, the, the word spread. He's here. He's landed. He's here. And they brought to him all who were sick and implored him, pleaded with him, that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. We don't want to intrude into your life too much, but if, if we could just let them touch just the hem of your garment. And the Bible says, and as many as touched it were made well. Think about this. This is incredible. Heaven itself had landed at this tiny little place on the Sea of Galilee. Heaven and all of its power has landed there, and the people are seeing something happen that no little place like that had ever seen before, and up to the right now, no other place has ever seen again. This is an amazing thing. Jesus is unleashing his power, unleashing his power on any and all who were sick and hurting. And they were made well, the Bible says. What a climactic conclusion to Matthew chapter 14. I mean, you think it can't get better than taking a little boy's lunch and feeding 20,000-something people. Whoa. He tops that with walking on water. I told you when we talked about that, we're like, yeah, we've heard that story forever. But when it happened, that had never happened before. That, was, that blew them away. That's why they thought that was a ghost coming to them on the water. And you think... It can't, he can't top that. No, he does. It, it's like the hospitals emptied out, the nursing homes emptied out, the, the funeral homes emptied out, and all throughout that region because heaven and its power had come down, and anybody that got within reach of him, they were healed. Imagine that. Grandma is dying. But now she's dancing. Your husband who's been injured, unable to provide for the family, you're struggling, fear's overwhelming. Suddenly, he's not just thrown into rehabilitation. He's completely healed. And the family's going to be okay. That blind man that you pass every day under the bridge holding up the cardboard sign, now he's running around town and he's seeing everything. He's leading sightseeing tours is what he's doing. That's how he's making a living now, the irony of that. Just think of that. It could not have been any more clear that God himself was in that place. God himself was among those people. And here is what so often happens when God shows up. When God shows up, here comes religion. And religion comes looking to squeeze him right back out. We see this so often in Scripture and so often in our own lives. Religions like to keep things nice and tidy and under control and neatly boxed up. But here's the thing about God. You can't box him up. You can't keep him in a box. Let's go to chapter 15. Here comes the religious folks with their boxes and with their packing tape. And they want to try to get God back in the box. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. That's a big deal. And they said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. 
couple of things to note here. First of all, this is not the junior varsity religious leaders coming to deal with Jesus. They're straight from headquarters, straight from Jerusalem. They, they want to get this person dealt with. Second thing to note is washing your hands before you, you eat, that's a really good thing to do, y'all. Can we just say amen? Like, if, if, if me and you're going to have a meal and you're not going to wash your hands, we're not going to have another meal together. I'm just going to tell you, all right, I, I'm, I'm not like crazy germaphobe, but I'm sort of crazy germaphobe. You just wash your hands, right, before you eat. It's a great idea. But that's not what the Pharisees are complaining about. They're not telling Jesus, your disciples aren't washing their hands. That's gross. Somebody's going to get sick. That's germy. That's not their concern. What their concern is, they had invented a system of religiously washing your hands, not to avoid germs, but because they thought this is a way they could avoid sin. It wasn't about germs. It was about sin. Here's the thing. They believed, here, here's these religious folks, they believed, I am innately good. There's nothing wrong with me. Nothing. The danger is what's outside of me. And if I touch somebody that's sinful, now their sin has gotten on me. And if I touch my sandwich with their sin on me, now my sandwich has sin on it. Now that sin is going to go into my body, and now my whole body is going to be sinful. And then they had a whole long list of things they would have to do religiously to get that sin out of their body so they could stand clean and pure and be acceptable before God again. I mean, think about that. Come here, A.C., we're going to say I'm a Jew. Come here, AC. I'm not bringing up the stage. Okay, don't freak out. Come here. Just stand right here. How you doing, AC? I changed my mind. Come on up here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. AC is one of my shyest 10th graders we have at MXTV. But we're going to pretend that AC is, is a Gentile. That means she's not a Jew. And we're going to pretend I'm a Jew. And so if I'm walking by and me and AC just happen to bump my hand, oh, good gracious. Now, because I just touched a Gentile, you, you can sit down now. She's like, Phew. But now... Now I got AC sin on me. So now I got to go through this whole hand-washing ceremony. And if it was a big meal, you'd even do this whole thing even between the courses. Because you just didn't know, hey, that plate that they just put here, that might have been touched by somebody that was touched by somebody that was touched by somebody that touched somebody that was sinful. This is what they were doing. Isn't this amazing? They had this very specific and detailed way that they would wash their hands. You remember when, when COVID was really bad and, like, we were spraying our grocery bags and, you know, we, we had to. We were freaking out, right? That, we, we, we were washing our hands and singing songs. Remember they told us that, like, sing the happy birthday song and wash your hands and all that good stuff, right? It's amazing the things that we did. We, in between services at Grace Life, we were going around like Ghostbusters with the big backpack thing on. Spraying everything down, right? Trying to desanitize everything. That was a hard way to live in those days. But these religious people had created a system that was like that. Very much, but even far worse than that. And it wasn't about the germs. It was about sin. And it was about being acceptable to God. That's the issue. How can I be right with God? And I want you to notice what they said to Jesus. 
They said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Don't you see this? This this little hand-washing exercise thing they did, that had not come from God. This wasn't from the word of God. God had not prescribed this to these people. They said, it's the tradition of the elders. Traditions. Man-made traditions. Now look, I'm, I, I like tradition. You, we all have some traditions that we like. As a family, we're trying to find new traditions, create new traditions, celebrate old traditions. Traditions aren't bad. Traditions can be good. But listen, religious folks. Traditions can be good, but traditions must never be God. I'm going to say that again because some of y'all missed where you could have stepped in with a little preacher support right there. I'm figuring out just how religious a crowd we got in here today. Religion, tradition, traditions can be good, but they cannot become our God. Man-made religious traditions, they, they really kind of do three things at least. They often misrepresent who God is. They often misrepresent the truth about sin. And they often misrepresent the truth about other people. So it's no wonder that Jesus and his disciples aren't playing the game. They're, they're, not, they're not in the whole cootie game. They're, they're not playing that. And the Pharisees are calling them out on it. And the implication of the Pharisees' question is, y'all are sinful. You got sin all on you, sin all in you, because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And so Jesus responds to them. He's about to do that. And, and for some of you with tender feelings, just brace yourself, because it sounds like he goes ballistic on them. He kind of snaps on them. And if it sounds that way, it's really because that's exactly what he's doing. Because this is not his first run-in with these people. This is our 42nd week to be preaching through Matthew. And if you've been here for any of those, you've probably been here one time at least when the Pharisees, the religious leaders were coming out making accusations against Jesus, trying to trap Jesus, trying to destroy his credibility and his ministry. We've seen it all throughout. So these guys, they're holding on to this man-made religious stuff that they've created out of thin air that, by the way, they're using to suffocate the life and the joy out of everybody else around them, and they're doing it in the name of God. Matthew's already told us that they have made their minds up. We're done with Jesus. We're going to kill him. That's already their plan. They're just trying to figure out now how and when. And Jesus knows that about them. Jesus knows he's in the final year of his ministry, so he is not holding back. He's throwing haymakers from here on, all right? Like the MMA guy that got saved and was part of y'all see, I don't know if you can hear it. MMA guy. Some of y'all need to lead somebody to Jesus as the MMA fighter because we need an MMA fighter at Grace Life. I'm just saying, I think that'd be so cool. So Jesus is throwing haymakers now. Here we go, verse 3. He answered them and he said, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? In other words, all you care about is keeping rules that people have invented, and you don't care about commandments that God himself has given. Actually, what Jesus is saying is, 
you have actually done this. You have created traditions for the sole purpose of running ends around what God has told you to do. You've created some religious traditions to try to create some exceptions to what God has commanded. And then Jesus gives them an example of what he's just accused them of. Watch this, verse 4. He says, because God commanded. God commanded, not suggested. <laughs> this was not a suggestion from God. God said, do it. He, he said, God commanded. Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. And all the parents said, And Jesus said, but you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. Now let me explain that. God commanded, honor your father and your mother. But the religious leaders... To support their religious enterprise, they came up with this exception to God's commandment. You see, in those days, mom and dad didn't have a retirement plan. There was no social security. The children were their retirement plan. The children were their social security. When mom and dad couldn't provide for themselves anymore... They had children that would provide for them. The roles reversed. They provided for their children for so long, and now the children are going to provide for their parents. They're going to honor their father and mother like that. But the religious leaders came along, and to support their religious enterprise, they said, okay, but look, here's what you can do. It, and, and it's called Corban. The Jewish people had little offering boxes like we have. They called them Corbanos. And, and so a person could say, well, all of my assets are Corban. Meaning, I'm declaring that everything I have belongs to the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that I have to give it to the Lord. This was the rule they made. I don't have to give it to the Lord right now. But upon my death, everything will go to the religious leaders to support the work of God. And that way, I don't have to share what I have with my mom and my dad. I don't have to support them because I can't now. It doesn't belong to them. Now it belongs to God. Meanwhile, poor old mom and dad are struggling and they're doing without because somebody decided to play this goofy religious game. It's abandonment of your family is what it is in the name of God. And Jesus hates it hates it. Look at what he says next. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart, you might want to circle that word, I did, their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They're teaching things that are not true about God. They're teaching things that are not true about sin. They're teaching things that are not true about other people. Jesus said of them, hey, you talk a good game, but your heart's a mess. Your, your lips draw close to me, but your hearts are far away from me. It's their hearts that are the problem. Their hearts are far from God. And guess what? It's the heart that God's after. That's what he wants from you today, by the way. God's not after your money. 
Because God knows if he has your heart, your money and everything else will end up exactly where it's supposed to be for your good and for his glory. It's the heart that God's after. And the question is today, does Jesus have our hearts here? Or are we just a bunch of goofy religious circus monkeys just performing and doing and putting on a show? And if you're thinking, no, that's not me, I'm here for God, be careful. Because I don't think there's anything that has the potential in a more dangerous or destructive way to create blind spots in our life like walking in religion that is detached from the heart of God. And beginning from here to everybody out there, we all cannot let those blind spots become a part of our life and begin to walk in a religion that's detached from the heart and the word of God. This is the problem of religion. The Pharisees were playing the cootie game. Oh, you, I touched them. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, you might have touched somebody that had, remember that in school? Cootie, cootie, dot, circle, circle, dot, dot. Remember that? Who, who, who remembers that? Come on. Y'all my people, man, right? Come on. Elementary school in the 80s, it was the best. If you don't know, circle, circle, dot, dot. Now you got your cootie shot. We could have cured COVID with that. We could have. Circle, circle, dot, dot. Now you got your COVID shot. Move on about your business. It was fine. This was their thinking about sin. Verse 10, look at it. So then Jesus turns from the Pharisees and he called the people to him and he said to them, I want you to hear this. I want you to understand this, he says. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. But what comes out of the mouth, that's what defiles a person. What, what does that mean? It means you're not a sinner because you bump into a sinner. It means you're not defiled because you bump into bad things. This is the issue we're talking about here. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with me is not what exists outside of me. What's wrong with me is the heart inside of me. This is what's wrong. It's our hearts. The problem, listen to me, the problem is not sin on us. The problem is sin in us. This is the problem. Our hearts are the problem. See, the heart of all of our problems is not society. We're going to be a polling place Tuesday here. That's a cool civic thing for us to do. And this is the year 2024, and some of you are just buying in that the problems that exist in this world are problems with society. No, the root of the problem is your heart, my heart. It's the heart that's the problem. The heart of our problems isn't lack of education, isn't lack of health care. The heart of all of our problems isn't the boogeyman. The heart of all of our problems isn't even the devil himself. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Two chapters earlier in Matthew, Jesus said this, chapter 12, verse 34. He's looking at those religious leaders, and he said, you brood of vipers. If you kids don't know what that means, he just called them a bunch of baby snakes. You bunch of baby snakes. The implication of that is your daddy's a snake. Who's he talking about? Satan. Jesus just said, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy, boys? He says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good? When, watch this, you are evil. He doesn't say you touched it or you brushed up against it. 
He said, you are evil. Listen, that's me and you too. Apart from Christ, that is the right and true and accurate description of every single person in this room. We are evil from the inside out, not from the outside in. He says, you are evil. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out, watch this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of us tells the truth about what's inside of us. That's why he said what he said in Matthew 15, 11. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, he says, this defiles a person. See, what comes out of our mouth comes out of our hearts. Religion says it's an external problem that can only be solved with external solutions. Here's the list. Do your best. But Jesus shows up and he says, no, it's not an external problem. It's an internal problem. It's your heart and you need a new heart. And there's nothing you can do to get a new heart except call out on me in repentance and faith and I'll give you a new heart. We need to be changed from the inside out. Not outside in, not behavior modification. The Pharisees had it all wrong. They were concerned about brushing up against bad things, bad people. And if the badness got on me, the sin got on me, then it's all in me and it's just a big mess now. But Jesus comes into this scene and he turns their way of understanding the world right side up. And he says, look, what you guys need to do is give yourself a heart scan. And put down the, the hand sanitizer and the mask and the spiritual biohazard suit. And you need to take a look at your own heart because that's where the danger is. It's in you, not outside of you. He says in verse 12, then the disciples came and said to him, um, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? It is like they just doggone time traveled to 2024 and I love y'all millennials, but they turned into millennials in 2024. Now, millennials of Grace Life, you're different. You're, you're built different. But, th but they're like, you hurt their feelings, Jesus. They're offended. Jesus isn't trying to offend. You should never try to offend. Jesus is trying to save. Jesus is telling the truth. And we must tell the truth. Even if it's found by some to be offensive. We may be the first generation of followers of Jesus in church history that refuse to tell people how in Jesus they can escape an eternity in hell because we're afraid we're going to hurt their feelings. We may be the first generation in church history who actually thinks it's a bigger sin to offend somebody than to not tell somebody how to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And you know what that might say about us, by the way? We're religious. We're religious. We don't have a real relationship with Jesus. We have a religion. We're not followers of Jesus. We're just following the way of life in the Bible Belt. That's what that says about us. Come on, it's leg day. Don't you quit on me now. Come on, let's go. Don't you quit. We're going we're gonna to lift. You want to skip it. We're not skipping it. Verse 12. I think I pulled something. <laughs> Didn't stretch. Remember verse 12. Then the disciples, they came and they said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted 
will be rooted up. If you were here for Matthew 13 and parables, you ought to be going, whoa, 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 I heard that before. He says, leave them alone. They're blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. You remember back in 13, he told the parable. The weeds get planted alongside the wheat. The harvester said, you want us to go in there and pull them all up? And the master of the field said, no, 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 just leave them there until harvest time comes. Then we'll separate it out then. I'm telling you, a great day of separation is coming soon. Those who have trusted Jesus alone to change their hearts, to give them a new heart, are going to be separated from those who said, I'm not the problem. Everybody else is the problem. I don't need a Savior. I don't need Jesus. Because I'm not the problem. We're going to be separated. There's a great day of separation coming. Verse 15, but Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And Jesus says, are you so still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Biology 101. Whatever you put in the mouth goes into the stomach and then it gets expelled. The Pharisees were teaching that if a sinner touched your sandwich... You got sin on it, now sin's in you, now you're a sinner too. And Jesus says, that's ridiculous. He says, whatever you eat doesn't become sin, it becomes something else that eventually gets flushed down the toilet. Verse 18, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. That's the issue. It's in you. And this, he says, defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Can't blame your evil thoughts on what's outside of you. It's your heart. Out of the heart comes murder. You can't blame your anger, your rage. You hear me? You can't blame your anger, your rage on the people around you. Quit doing that, followers of Jesus, in the world. Not supposed to be of it. That anger, that rage, that's coming from your heart. Well, I got triggered. Because your heart's weak and wicked and sinful. It's not the trigger that's the problem. The root of the problem is your heart and my heart. Out of the heart, evil thoughts, murder, adultery. Don't blame it on that. Don't blame it on that. It's your heart. Sexual immorality is from the heart. Theft is from the heart. False witness, lying about stuff. It's from the heart. Slander, lying about people. It's from the heart. He says in verse 20, these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands is gross, but it doesn't make you a sinner. That's not what makes you unacceptable before God. Our sin is not the fault of anything or anybody outside of us. It's the heart inside of us. Now let's just see if we've touched those five things I told you we'd touch on today. Why do I feel inadequate? We all feel that way. We all feel some sense of I'm broken. I'm, I'm, I'm not as I should be. But it's not because of what's happened to you. It's not, not because your daddy left or, or your mama was crazy or because you were bullied in school it's not that. What's wrong inside of every single one of us is our hearts. It's sin in us. Our hearts are filled with sin. We have a sense in us 
that we are broken, that we have fallen short somehow. And that's exactly what the Bible says. In Romans 3.23, it says we all, all of us have sinned, and we have fallen short of the glory of God. This is why we struggle with these thoughts and with these feelings, because this is our condition. We're fallen. We're broken. So we struggle with these things, guilt and fear, because we know something's wrong. But what it is that's wrong is not outside of you, it's inside of you. Second issue, what's the problem with religion? When we detach religion from the truth of God's word and from the character of God, we misrepresent God. We misrepresent what sin is. We misrepresent things about other people. Empty religion leaves us, leaves us empty and exhausted from trying to be religious. Or it leaves us arrogant and conceited because we're looking down our nose at other people that we don't think are as good as we are. In neither case does it leave us more like Jesus, I would say. That's the problem. Three, how can a person be right with God? Before I answer that directly, let me answer how we're not made right with God. We're not made right with God by anything that we can do. Nothing that we can do. No amount of good deeds or moral living or religious hurdle jumping is ever going to make us right with God. What's really wrong with me? What's really wrong with the world? What's really wrong is sin. God made a beautiful world, created it in its perfection, and he put a tree in the middle of the garden. And when he did that, he created the potential for a meaningful relationship with his image bearers, who at that time were named Adam and Eve. Without that tree, there is... No opportunity for a real loving relationship where there is choosing and deciding. And they made their choices and they made their decisions. They chose to dishonor God. They chose to disobey God and the world was broken because of that. You and I are broken today. That's why we're haunted by these feelings of we're not enough, we're inadequate, we're falling short. Is there a solution? Yes. I'm glad you got up and put on some clothes and drove to church today because there is a solution. The solution to all this is Jesus and Jesus alone. Not Jesus plus anything, but Jesus and Jesus alone. Not a religion about Jesus, but a personal saving relationship with Jesus. Let me read this to you, Romans 5.18. Therefore, Paul says, as one trespass, he's talking about Adam, one trespass led to condemnation for all of us, Watch this. So one act of righteousness, he's talking about Jesus now on the cross, one act of righteousness leads to justification. That's a big word. Here's what it, cheater, cheater way to remember what it means. Justification, justified, never sinned. Jesus came so that through his perfect life, his death on the cross in our place, his victory over the grave, through faith in him, God can look at us now justified, never sinned. We all became sinners because of Adam, but we can be looked upon by God just as if we'd never sinned because of what Jesus did at the cross for us. Verse 19 says, For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, that is Jesus, the many will be made righteous. It is only through faith in Christ, and Christ alone can a person may be right with God. May be made right with God. Jesus didn't die on the cross to give you a spiritual boost, to aim you in the right direction. It is not Jesus plus baptism. It is not Jesus plus praying the rosary. It is not Jesus plus joining a church. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. 
There is no other way. The only way for you, that's the question. How can I be made right with God? The only way for you and me, for any of us to be made right with God, is to abandon all hope and trust that you have in yourself or anybody else or anything else apart from Jesus and go all in, all my hope, all my trust is in Christ and in Christ alone. That's the only way. So God, we bow our hearts before you right now. And God, I pray for any that are here today whose hearts, God, are in need of change. God, I pray for those today that have yet to say, I'm not putting hope and trust in me or anybody else, not in religious stuff. I need Jesus. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, if that's you today, there's, there's never come that moment that you just said, I am turning. This is what the Bible calls repentance. I'm turning from putting hope and trust in anything except Jesus, and I'm turning to him to put all my hope and all my trust in him. This is, this is how a person's made right with God, through repentance and faith. And if you've never turned to Jesus, repenting of hoping and trusting in other things or people, Now's your moment to turn and say, no, I'm not trusted in any of that now. I just want to trust you, Jesus, and trust you alone. The Bible says if you'll call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. If you give Jesus your life today, would you just, would you seek me out? Somebody maybe here in this room, you know, none of us can do this by ourselves. God's put us in, he's a relational God. He's put us in relationships so that we can walk with each other, so. Share that with somebody. Maybe you're here today and, man, you, you know you're saved. You know through Jesus you've been made right with God. But you also know there is some stuff that's been flying out of your heart. And you've been trying to pin the blame on somebody else or something else. And today the Holy Spirit's going, no, Bubba, it's you. That stuff that's coming out of your life, the blame's on your heart. And Jesus, we often think about this, as he, we think he says this to people that don't know him, but this isn't a letter to the church. It's a letter to people who say they know Jesus. And Jesus says, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If you'll hear my voice and open up, I'll come in and we'll sit back down together and eat and fellowship again together. Today, child of God, you're hearing God say, it's your heart. And Jesus is knocking and saying, hey, if you'll open up that door, we'll come in and we'll start this thing over. The Bible says if we'll confess our sin, he'll forgive us. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And some of us maybe, we've been around the church scene for so long, we just needed today to be jolted into looking into the mirror of God's word and asking ourselves, is there anything about my relationship with God that has devolved into man-made religious traditions that are detached from the heart of God and from the word of God? And some of us that have been in this scene for a really long time, we just need to take a really hard, long look at that today. Because nothing creates blind spots in our life any faster than religious busyness that's detached from God's word and God's heart. So Holy Spirit, would you just speak your truth over us right now and give us the grace to follow you in obedience and repentance now. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together, church. May we be about today nothing but Jesus, but Christ and Christ alone. Amen.